0: Mr. A here saying how y'all doing? Yo,
1: are you ready to rumble? Or should I say jumbo? Cause I don't stumble up bumble like a crack of my gumbo. Standing on the ground, right feet words and turns, and I'm doing it on my turns. It's a when Welcome to the Rumble. We are back, and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here. Each and every week helping you keep your guard up I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting At Claim Coach on Instagram and on TikTok They just call me the Mouth of the South And alongside of me is our very special guest Mr. TJ Ware of Paradise Claims, Premier Claims And name that shingle, we just call him the Paradise Kid And the deliciously devious and the magnificently mysterious The one, the only, Baby Cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle How's everybody doing? TJ, how's it going, it's man? It's
0: going great, man. I've been uh, trying to weather this heat.
1: Yeah, it's been hot here too. It's been, it's been, it's been crazy hot here. And I uh, actually was out. I went and looked at a roof. I didn't get out of the house as quickly as I wanted to yesterday. And we went and looked at. And I pulled up. I <laughs> pulled up to go look at this roof, and it was 102 degrees outside. So I didn't actually get on the roof because I was afraid that I was going to damage it you know, Burned because it's so down. hot <laughs> or burn my, yeah. Damage me in the process. Yeah, too. for sure. So, no, 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 no! um, no! do you climb roofs when it's really hot like that? Or do you try to stay off of them?
0: That's a great question. You know, I mean, if to if I'm forced to climb a roof, I will, um, you know, it, it obviously depends. I wear pretty soft tennis shoes. I mean, if, if, uh, if I'm on a roof and it's super sticky hot, you know, and I'm seeing the granules move uh, in my shoe print, then I'm probably going to climb back down off of it. But I mean, it's hot here for a few months of the year and we got to work. So I try to do it as early in the day as I can.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I wanted to get out there super early yesterday. I just couldn't get in touch with the client to make sure I could come over at seven in the morning. And this particular roof was black TJ. Like it was a black shingled roof is what it was. And so I, I just kind of got up and looked at it. It turned out there wasn't a lot of damage and it was over uh Because you're from this area, you're from the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, and so it was in Flower Mound. And as you know, like Keller and Flower Mound got hit pretty good just back at the beginning of June. So um, that's what I was kind of checking out. But this house, you know, actually fared the storm, weathered the storm pretty well, pun intended. It was so. It was
0: real patchy, that storm. So there was lots of good little pockets of damage, but I think the hell was getting produced, you know, 60,000 feet high, and it just tossed it here and there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he had like he goes, he's like. Ever so often, he would have like a big, you know, inch and three-quarter, uh, you know, hailstone. But most of it was rather small. But every now and then in his yard, he would see, you know, a, a bigger hailstone. But I didn't see any significant damage on the roof. And, I, you know, as hard as carriers have been to get to uh, approved roofs these days, I wasn't willing to get into a fight and, and, and get into a seven-month battle over over moderate damage. That's for You know, sure. I, had, I had so. picked
0: up some hail in that storm. I got there just right after it stopped falling, and I picked up a five-inch piece. To hell that i sent off the national weather service photos of it and the local news and it was running all over the internet for a while
1: yeah yeah so donna what's been going on in your world
2: i have i have fun facts
1: fun Fun
2: facts yes we get we get thousands of cards and letters from our fans all over the world Uh and um they wanted to know what barbie what barbie's full name is she has a full name did you know that barbie
1: has a full name
2: yes and probably a a checkered past, I'm I'm assuming. I'd change my name if I were her. Yeah, her real name is Barbara Millicent Roberts, and she's from Willows, Wisconsin. Her birthday is March 9th, 1959.
1: Wow, she looks great for her age. I know. Yeah. Boobs
2: are staying up there. Yeah, right.
1: It's incredible.
2: And then my other fact is three presidents, all founding fathers, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe all died on July 4th.
1: Oh, that's, yeah, I think I knew that. I think I knew that they all died. I, I knew, I, 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 I had heard that before, but I couldn't have told you who it was. Have I knew that there that, were, uh, yeah, yeah, well, have you ever heard of that?
0: Yeah, yeah you know, fireworks are dangerous.
1: <laughs> it's true. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so...
2: President Adams and Jefferson also died that same year. President Monroe died in 1831.
1: Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Yep. Well, we are about to get into it. Um, We're going to the title of today's episode is the documentation Annihilation. Ooh. Yeah, I'm kind of a fan of Big Bang Theory, and so you'll see little titles like that, but this one is called The Documentation Annihilation, and guys, uh, the topics are going to be discussed in three 15-minute rounds when you hear this sound. You know that the round has started, and when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. Now, TJ and I are not arguing. We are merely discussing. It's you guys that are in the Rumble each and every week, and we are just here to kind of commentate and provide some commentary on it. If you hear anything funny, it is not me or TJ. Well, it may be TJ. It's certainly not me, (laughs) but it's usually Donna over there adding the sound effects and the drops, and we're happy that she's over there twisting and tweaking and producing this show. We couldn't do it without her. Guys, we are going to get into round one right after this public adjusters listen up it's Jeremy Lavelle owner of Remedy Claims Consulting host of the Rumble and most importantly your claims coach public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find sure you can take some online seminars you can show up to conferences but none of them tailor training just for you until now whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from A to Z, or you're just wanting to help. Are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you are looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at RemedyClaims.com and just click Get Started. That's 888-596-8772 or RemedyClaims.com and click Get Started. You can even shoot me an email at Jeremy at RemedyClaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at RemedyClaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, refuted documentation with no proof. Now, TJ, this one thing really kind of sticks in me more than anything that I deal with is when you send it, you go to all of this trouble to build a file. You put this documentation together, whether it's photographs, whether it's, um, you know, you get a contractor to take a look at it. You have all of this stuff and they just go, well, you know, um, that doesn't look like damage to us. And they just, as it, you know, it's based on their adjuster opinion that has probably never even been on a roof, or at least it's entirely possible. They've sat in a classroom somewhere where they have been taught what the, see my air quotes, pattern of damage is, because they'll say that's not consistent with whatever peril it is that you're, you're asking for. And they'll say that, yeah, that's not consistent with hail damage or that's not consistent with wind damage, but they won't really tell you or show you Exactly what it is. Have you? Do you run into that? I mean, have you got? I'm sure you've been doing this long enough to have to have heard that before.
0: Sure, that's something that we run into all the time, and I think it's because the class you mentioned, those people sitting in, oftentimes that class isn't designed to teach them how to adjust a claim by looking at a policy and seeking coverage um, out there in the field. And, And traditionally, that is how all adjusters are taught to seek. Coverage that is the adjuster's job, and now they are just trained to go by a set of internal guidelines that has little to do with the policy or coverage, the way that it should be viewed when you're trying to achieve indemnification. Uh, and so, that's the disconnect. The job that they're doing is not the job that they've traditionally done. Now, they're hiring more inspectors you know, glorified inspectors. They're splitting up the field work and the desk work where there's all sorts of Plausible deniability, and then they're not trying to seek coverage and adjust the claim. They're trying to just go along with their internal guideline process, and then there's a big disconnect.
1: Well, I I often say that adjusters these days are not trained; they're indoctrinated, and and it's not it's not really let's let we're not teaching them how to adjust claims. Just like you said, TJ. In fact, when you when you started talking, I wrote down the word indoctrinate. And then you said the word guidelines, and they're not really even taught policy anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, even within their guidelines, there is coverage. Do you know what I'm saying? And they're not, it's like, well, that's, uh, that's just mechanical damage. You know, and their guidelines tell them that we don't pay for mechanical damage. That's what their guidelines tell them. But there is no exclusion. Ninety nine, in fact, mechanical damage is not within any policy that I have ever read in, in, in my entire career. In fact, they mechanical damage is a word that's used that was used once upon a time by engineers and probably is still used by engineers, but they'll use that because they see engineer reports all the time and it says this is not hail damage, this is just mechanical damage. Now, mechanical damage, for those of you who listen to the show all the time, know that mechanical damage is, in fact, hail damage is actually mechanical damage. Would you agree with that,
0: TJ? I mean, I guess maybe theoretically, if you want to break down the words.
1: Yeah, well, all I'm saying is, is it's damage that is caused by something other than
0: wear and tear. Well, generally it's referred to, I mean... Mechanical damage usually in in every application that I've heard it talked about is generally referring to some sort of physical damage caused by other than a natural occurrence, uh, which is usually having to do with people working on a roof. Maybe they're working on it and um, you can see where people have screwed some fasteners through the roof to secure uh, scaffolding on a second story. And and so they just call that mechanical damage, something that was physically mechanically done by some sort of person tool or machinery that was operating on the roof is generally how I see it viewed.
1: Well, I, you know what, that's actually, that's actually really, that's a really good delineation there other than a natural occurrence. Now I like that. Now I have heard, I have heard, you know, it, the question is, is can you expand the definition of natural occurrence? Now, I think a roof is going to go through a storm. I think that that is something that you can reasonably expect for any roof uh, that that's out there. In fact, that's the point of the roof is because of the storm that it is at some point in time going to go through. So um, but to determine exactly whether it was a natural occurrence or whether or not it was a... Um, whether it was something that like you were referring to where they where they attached some scaffolding, where may possibly even where they uh, they put down a tarp and it was it was by and large intentional in that situation that the roof had to be damaged in order to provide the protection that was necessary to complete the task that was that was at hand. You know, um, you can have a lot of windborne debris that would look like See my air quotes mechanical damage.
0: Well, that's very true, and I've seen that in especially uh, post-hurricane scenarios where it's obvious to me, someone who is seeking coverage, that um, the damage is consistent with wind-driven debris. I have seen them try to label that as everything other than what is clearly covered in the policy.
1: Well, and 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 by and large, it's it's not excluded. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you know what I'm saying. It, it's it's generally, in general, not excluded from the policy. Mechanical damage is not something that is excluded, such as wear and tear or normal deterioration, or you know, other other things that you know, uh, um, um, latent defect. It, it uh, could fall. And and it,
0: it could fall within other exclusions in the policy, like workmanship that you mentioned. the The, the situation where somebody screwed through the shingles on the roof because they were setting up scaffolding. That seems like poor workmanship. And so while they were doing a project, they created penetrations and openings in the roof. So I think that there is definitely a defense there, it, but I do like to go back to, Hey, was this sudden and accidental? Cause generally things that are sudden and accidental are thought of as to be covered. But I think that there are some really gray areas. And obviously if they're labeling legitimate storm damage as mechanical damage, then it's just a bit of a red herring.
1: True and i think that that's by and large kind of what 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 i'm talking about but either way i don't want to get i don't want to set up too much camp on the mechanical damage it's when we provide it's when we provide documentation and and let's and let's just use hail damage for this example I, but i can talk about wind damage wind damage has a pattern it's got a con, it's got consistent different things that you can look at whether it's matting transfer or the creased and broken shingle, or even one could say lifted shingles with debris in the tar strip; those sorts of things. And then they just look at it and go, "Yeah, that's not wind damage." Or, "Yeah, no, that's not that's not hail damage." But my favorite question is like, "Okay, great. If that in fact is not hail damage, would you please show me an example of hail damage, and I'll just go take pictures of that?" <laughs> well, and by and large, and by and large, they have nothing that they can show me
2: because I don't even think they know well they're being they're being taught what hail damage is but it's too, it's too time consuming to actually find look for it the,
0: theoretically theoretically i, I mean it, this kind of goes back to we probably talked before about proof of loss so you submit a proof of loss and then now the burden to disprove your proof of loss shifts to the carrier and so, at that point, once you've submitted a proof of loss, they do have a burden to either pay the claim or disprove it. And that's why it's important to document these things well, because unfortunately, sometimes these things that are left up to interpretation are, are settled in the civil court system.
1: Well, and 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 unfortunately, that is the only place where they're really and truly. Because if you read the Texas Bill of Rights, the Texas Consumer insurance consumer bill of rights if you if you read if you read that thing it's one of the very last statements that it says is that the burden of proof shifts to the carrier but it's it's once the lawsuit begins (laughs) that the actual burden of proof shifts to them now i have been known to tell uh to to ask a, a carrier it's like please show me what it is that you consider Because you're not, if you can't show me what it is and you can't really disprove what I'm doing here, and you're just going to simply call it wear and tear, by and large, you're using a conflict of interest there. Why would anything be damaged if you don't have to stand up and actually prove what is actual damage? You know, it's like, I know that you guys have paid claims this week. Can you show me some of those pictures of what you considered to be damage (laughs) that you that you actually covered that you called that you considered a covered covered damage? You know, and those are those are questions that I ask. And 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 I have found the more I ask these questions, you know, I am getting shut down. And in fact, a lot of times the way that they shut me down is they just quit taking my phone call.
0: Yeah, it's
1: almost entirely.
0: It's an unfortunate situation sometimes. You know, I got out of contracting back in 2018 because I was hitting so much resistance when dealing with uh, adjusters on insurance claims and those types of things. And they more, you know, they speak to a contractor in a state like Texas generally as a courtesy, and they just weren't very courteous anymore. (laughs) And that's kind of the way that the industry has gone at times, and it's unfortunate.
1: Well, you said something earlier. They're using all of these different people. And I think that this is this is a so perk up, guys. This is a this is one this is one of the things that I think TJ brings out a strategy here and it's called the plausible deniability. They have so many different layers of people that are involved and and primarily it's third parties and the and the biggest third party that you see is the independent adjuster which as an aside I believe is on their way out. I don't think that they're going to you're going to see a lot of independent adjusters out there for very much longer. They're just going to use third party inspection services. And these guys are getting paid this flat rate to go look at the claim, whether it's a ladder service. Um, I remember when I was running claims for the carrier, um, the ladder service was like, you know, $125 and they would, you would call them up if you had a steep and tall roof and they would come out. And I was, even as an, even as an independent adjuster was really unhappy with their work product and the way that they photograph and documented things. And so they're getting paid the same, whether they find any damage at all and, then they only catalog the damage, like hail damage, which further which further steps into now you're determining causation. You're only taking pictures of the damage you think the carrier wants to see or doesn't want to see, and you're leaving out everything else. And I think personally that's a problem too. And I, you know, and, and then when it gets to the desk, they don't have anything to work off of. Even when you provide them documentation, all they want to do is go with their report. It's almost like they don't even want the, 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 the policy holder to try and prove the loss that they're claiming with the documentation that the policy requires. I mean, do you find that to kind of be the pattern as well?
0: Sure. I think that originally, originally, uh, the first insurance adjusters were public adjusters they represented the policy holders to claim the benefits under the policies they had purchased over time. Insurance companies realized if they control the process, they control the narrative and because they control the money and the process now, yeah, they're going to go out there. Um, Departments of insurance now have put expectations on them to handle claims within a certain timeline. So if they can send their own people out there to do it, people that aren't even trained as adjusters, like you mentioned, then it creates an environment where there's a uh, more opportunity for them to pay out less. Well, I mean, I know that you do a lot of
1: work kind of behind the scenes, like with, uh, with the APA, um, the American policyholders association, where you're actually talking to, um, the attorneys generals of, of, of all the States that, that, that are represented within the United States. That was a dumb comment, but you're talking to a bunch of these attorneys generals. Um, and, and kind of trying to combat some of that fraudulent behavior with them. Um, are, you, are you finding any sort of traction in that at all, TJ? You know,
0: we've had tremendous traction over the last year, uh, a lot of it resulting from Hurricane Ida. Now we're seeing it spread to other states. Uh, you know, we've had articles published by the Washington Post, the Miami Herald, the Tampa Bay Times, um, and, and then actually President Trump, picked up on it and started tweeting at Ron DeSantis, and that really pushed us further into the spotlight and has has caused some large investigations to be opened uh, in the state of Florida against these insurers. So, yes, there's traction. It's hard to prove intent, and when you hire people that are not qualified to do the job, like, for instance, uh, you're hiring a, a roof inspector to go out there and start the adjustment process, um, they can very easily deny any bad faith because they say, oh, well, you know, we hired this guy. It's his fault. Or, you know, they might even say, well, yeah, maybe that guy wasn't qualified, but that's his fault. That's not our fault. And so there's all of these different things that have been done to create an environment that, both makes it more difficult for the insured to get paid. Uh, it, it also makes it more difficult to hold the insurer or TPA firms or anybody else in the process accountable when when they're behaving badly. So is there, I mean, and, and that's and that's
1: kind of what I, it's like there's so many different layers, but when you get when you tell people, and this is, this is complete conjecture, but no matter who it is that they're hiring, if they're saying I need this sort of results out of the report that you provide me, that's how they get the consistency and predictable outcome that they're looking for. You know what I'm. You know what I mean. It's like I. We need to find. We need to find hail damage that is. You know, if you find a hail hail mark on a roof, we only want you to take a picture of it if it's bigger than a fifty cent piece. If it's not bigger than a fifty cent piece and it hasn't busted the matting, then then don't bother taking a picture of it. Have you found any of that to be consistent with what you're hearing and sort of as you're kind of up the food chain from the rest of
0: it? Sure, you know, and I've been hearing the whole matting debate for years, and. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen or or heard because obviously the granules on a shingle have a function. (laughs) That's a functional component of of that shingle, and their largest function is to protect uh, the shingle from UV degradation. Uh, and it's a similar reason why you have ballast on commercial roofs, you know, those rocks are about the hardest thing for the sun to damage. And when you remove those from a shingle, whether the mat is bruised or busted or not, you have functionally damaged that shingle, uh and that's sudden accidental damage that's covered in the policy. So things like that have done a disservice to a lot of homeowners uh because now now they're asking the adjuster not only to determine causation, because I am a big supporter of everybody having to determine causation. How else would we be able to do our job? Number one. Uh, But now you're not only asking him to determine causation, but you're asking them in the field to perform a, analysis on this product to see which components inside the product were broken by the hellstone. That doesn't make any sense to me. This guy's not an engineer. He doesn't have a microscope to, to do destructive testing on this shingle to find out. Well, I... I
1: okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole new can of worms that he what? just opened up there for me and I, and I and I'm and I'm going to I'm I'm going to I'm going to try to try to try to bring it together for what 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 I'm driving at there cuz when you I know. I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to put my. Because a lot of what they're recommending, as far as their repair goes, TJ, a lot of what they're recommending further compromises otherwise undamaged. You know, undamaged by the storm in question. You know what I'm saying? Like there are shingles during a hailstorm that don't get hit by hail you know and there and you're having to manipulate and deal with those shingles that further that that cause a, a level of degradation to that shingle whether it's um you know the degradation to the adhesive strip lost granules other things it, it it decreases the performance and the longevity of that shingle and they're offering this and that's why i believe personally that while most roofs are repairable they're not repairable and indemnifiable all at the same time and I have and and I and I know I sound like a broken record it is very very difficult to truly indemnify with a repair it you're going to leave them with less of a roof than they've had even after the storm occurred, you're still looking at damaging that roof further or making it susceptible to further damages. And, and, and I think that that is really the issue that I argue most of the time when I'm dealing with roofs and I can get into other situations like siding and, 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 and paint. And we can even get into the interior and all that kind of stuff. But the roof is one of those that it is very difficult to repair and achieve indemnification. Yeah, I know. I I agree. That's just, you know, that's just that I mean, and and it's unfortunate. And so a little bit of sympathy towards the carrier, you know, we probably have some maladjusted premiums for the risk exposure that's there because roofs have gotten really expensive. You know what I mean? I mean TJ. I mean they've gotten really <laughs> expensive to repair, and most people can't afford to repair that roof properly. That's a, you that's, know outside of an insurance. Company. That's
0: a whole topic in its own because um, yeah, that's a huge issue we're having because there's been a upset in the status quo uh, because of the internet and information from roofers, and the insurers are not used to the loss ratios that they're experiencing with more informed uh, roofing companies and public adjusters out there in the market.
1: Yeah. Well, the next round is really going to be pretty good. Baby cakes. I'm not going to lie. This one is going to,
2: finally we, we're going to have a good round.
1: You finally, <laughs> the last round was really, really good. Um, but I know this one is probably going to land pretty close to TJ's camp in um, refuted third party, non-bias reports and round two starts right after this when choosing someone to help with your online marketing make sure you go with someone that has years of experience our good friend sally at thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience she can build you a beautiful 15 page sleek interactive website post on your social media platforms multiple times a week she can do a video an amazing crm to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients text email marketing review generation a business listing on 60 plus search engines including three voice networks appointment scheduling estimates invoices payment processing and more she will also create for you on uh, on google a facebook page in instagram twitter and linkedin if you need these for your businesses she'll she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites if you already have these pages she'll optimize them for you as well call or message Sally today if you want to get started you can reach her at 214-789-1651 again her name is Sally Brigance her number is 214-789-1651 and uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up when you send her a referral that signs up with her she'll credit your billing account logos are also available um, and she also offers a lead generation service to SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T H R Y B, And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round two, refuted third-party non-biased reports. And that is a mouthful. So, TJ, you had this brilliant, brilliant idea to start a company called Name That Shingle. And this is just one example, and I'm going to get into some other ones, but I want to go ahead and deal with these shingle identification reports that are out there. And you have this because what we were finding as a guy that was in the trenches much like yourself that i tell which was the the 800 pound gorilla that everybody had to deal with when it came to material identification that 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 was the one that was the one source that you had to go to and if they came back with something and often their information on their report was dated whether that shingle was available or that product was available or what the grade of that product was and whether or not it would match or not match And I'm thinking like Hurricane Irma And the tiles that were available You know when we had all of those That that, that roofing tile damage um, I'm thinking about all of those sorts of sorts of Things and you started Name that shingle and, and that was something that It was actually a report That most of us on this side of the table Could really trust But when we turn something in That is professionally done Professionally researched Accurate information They're looking at it and going nope We're not going to take that. The only thing that we'll take is this, and it's extra contractual. It's not in the policy. You're asked to prove the loss. You provide this third-party non-biased proof because I don't think name that shingle sits around and goes, how do we get more roofs approved, boys? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think that that y'all's company vision. Our focus
0: focus is in just – clear, accurate and transparent information. Uh, And that's exactly the focus just to provide more information backed up by documentation uh, on a specific product. And so that's, that's all we've done. We are agnostic as to how it's applied or used really. And we try to stay out of that lane. Uh, But I will say that Although I see responses all across the industry, whether it's an NTS report or another piece of documentation, uh, you know, that supports the policyholder's position. Oftentimes it's rejected and and overlooked probably for a number of different reasons. Uh, By and large, across the board, the contractors that have devised a good system of using NTS reports for information about shingles, have a very high acceptance rate. And NTS is actually listed as a vendor in Allstate's internal manuals as well. So one of the biggest things with the rejection of NTS reports is probably that it's new and these adjusters have only ever heard of our competitor and they don't realize that there's something else out there.
1: That's, and you know what? That's fair. That's fair. But if you can corroborate it I mean, because what you're doing is you guys are if it can be corroborated, then I believe that that the burden of disproving that would then fall on the carrier and not just to say, uh, yeah, we don't accept that. Right. And Because at the end of the day, at the end of the
0: day, they asked for proof and you gave it to them. Absolutely. That's that's exactly right. But you know, you talked a minute ago about indemnification and how often is the adjuster on the other side, like thinking about indemnification, that's not what they're thinking about in the same way that you are. So there's a, there's a big disconnect in the entire process.
1: True. I, I, I get that. I get that. Um, you know, and I, and I don't necessarily want to get into, uh, I mean one of one of the things that I see where it's it's really kind of refuted when is when you let's let's both agree can we can we agree on this TJ that not all 30-year shingles are made alike sure I mean and and I'm guessing you would probably know better than I would I don't buy a lot of shingles but there's probably different prices for 30-year laminate shingles
0: absolutely well there's is that fair how about how about I'll I'll try you one more difficult. Jeremy, what's a 30 year laminated shingle?
1: <laughs> well, I, I know what, what I think one looks like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you, so, but you can't, I mean, but, but
0: you can't go buy one right now. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. There's no 30. Okay. It hasn't what, been 30 year in existence what, for years and years. Every package down there will say lifetime laminated shingle. Oh wow. yeah.
1: True true. So where, where did this year thing come, come across? How did that, how did that come about? So that is
0: how they, well, and you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was real common. You had a three tab shingle that was generally a 20 year product. You had a laminated shingle that was a, called a 30 year product that was standard. And then you had heavy thick that are thicker laminated shingles that are 40 years and 50 years. So you had, Three tabs, 30 years, 40 years, and 50 years. And so that's how those tiers came into place in Xactimate years and years ago. And then I think Uh Xactimate has had trouble adapting to all of the different types of shingles and designer shingles on the market. And then it started not to be about thickness or weight because they used SBS modifiers and different new technology inside the shingles to make them thinner and lighter, but with an even longer warranty. And so all of these things became very muddy and there's no real authority in the industry industry that's been able to quantify the differences between the different shingles. And of course, my entrepreneurial mind, I I look at those gaps in the marketplace and I think, Hey, there's a disconnect here.
1: So what you're telling me is, so what you're, I mean, here's the other thing that I can tell you is no matter what year you put on a 20 year, 25 year, 30 year, 40, 50 year, I rarely see those shingles actually survive that long is that accurate or am i just living in texas it's you're living in you're living in texas
0: yeah so you go to some of these other markets you know in the midwest where there's not a lot of storms uh or california and you may have 40 50 year old roofs uh i think it's fairly commonplace in certain places
1: okay Well, and and I just, and I see them by and large not last that long. Now, I have seen them be on the roof that long, but when you get up there, it's, you know, it it is an absolute um, kind of a nightmare as it pertains to they're aware. And that was always one of the hardest things for me as an adjuster, even on the carrier side, is that when I see something that is clearly in need of maintenance or it's in need of being updated in some kind of way. And they happen to have had a storm come through, and now they're seizing their opportunity to get a new roof. You know what I mean? Now, it doesn't mean that it hasn't been damaged, but it means that it is, it, the, the value of the roof is rather depreciated just by its age and condition alone. And it's not the same roof, obviously, that you're going to there's – there's going to be a significant amount of betterment in a replacement cost scenario. Absolutely.
0: Okay? That was the word that just came to my head in relation to RCV. Right.
1: And so, and, and, and generally, and that's when, and that's when you apply depreciation, guys, is when there is betterment. Otherwise, depreciation is only applied. Honestly, depreciation is really and really and truly should only be applied when there is a replacement cost opportunity there. Otherwise, that repair should be covered in full upfront without holding depreciation. Now, that is that the policy is pretty unclear, but generally, where it talks about recoverable depreciation and where depreciation is held is in concern of replacement cost value. Okay. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, TJ, that is basically what I have found as I've read policies. And so but I'm still seeing a lot of these
0: 10, 11, and twelve shingle repairs being
1: depreciated. Are you finding that as well?
0: You know, I have seen that and I do believe that case law is different per state on applying essentially applying depreciation to repairs and or labor. But in general, I I believe that. And and across the board, in general, repairs aren't depreciated. But I have seen it in places, uh, and I've seen both repairs and labor be depreciated in certain places, and I believe that courts have affirmed that in certain states.
1: Well, and I think they have. In fact, I, I know they have right here in Texas. The, the commissioner's written bulletins on it. I know that Oklahoma has got some of the same language and case law in their statutes and Um, And and their provisions as far as how things are to be handled and what now I don't have any problem in a replacement cost situation where they depreciate labor. Now, I don't know how you depreciate something that doesn't exist. That's always sort of my question. But fair enough. okay I get it. I understand that labor is generally the heavier burden above and beyond material. And we we certainly want and what they're owed is the actual cash value of the roof, and that actual cash value of the roof, it doesn't have any labor attached to it, so it makes sense that that labor would would then be depreciated because if you don't fix it, why would I pay you for pay you for labor that you're never going to perform? And so there's a level of that that I get but you know i i also kind of understand it from the insurance point of view if we fully depreciated these things 100% accurate it would be very hard to get repairs started in some situations and so i don't i don't find myself in too many depreciation arguments to be honest with you because most of what i deal with is there is replacement cost available and i don't and i don't really wrestle with that too much but one of the things that i have seen you know, kind of falling back to the report things is when you see a carrier. is your shingle has, uh, we have, we have located your shingle at, you know, this national supply house and, uh, you can buy this shingle at this price. And I have roofers all the time, call me up. It's like, can you get around this? And I was like, do you have something against buying shingles for less money? (laughs) And that's always sort of my question is like, do you have, is there something against getting it for less money? and but but my but where i defend roofers is is have they shown you an tell report showing you that that the shingle that is on that roof is actually available at that price and i and i noticed that they don't do any kind of reporting whether it's with name that shingle tell or whatever else may be out there is that they're not truly identifying the shingle to determine what the actual price is at one of these national warehouses um is, are you guys running into that at all at Name That Shingle? Are you trying to combat that in any kind of way? Have y'all done any of that sort of reporting to get around some of those pricing
0: structures? Are Are you talking about uh, material supply warehouse Mad Sky stuff, or are you talking about uh, discontinued materials international where they've found bundles of all I'm stuff? talking
1: about, yeah. I'm talking about the Mad Sky material supply warehouse. I tell is doing it now as well. I've had, I've had a lot of contractors. I've
0: had a lot of contractors tell me they've tried to buy the shingles for that price and they won't sell them to them. Um, that almost that that's done out there in a lot of ways, just for the carriers to justify paying out a, a lower rate. Uh, and then I've, I've had, I've seen a lot of people overcome that because they have supply accounts with certain suppliers and they pay a certain price and, and that's, that's what's built into their component pricing. So I've, I've rarely seen people stuck with those, um, those prices and I've, I've seen them. I mean, you can use Xactimate and put in your prices into your materials. Uh, you know, just like, uh, I mean, you know, you can go down to the component level and break down the item and put an accurate price in, and then usually put that forward sure. in, in front of, uh, an adjuster. And I've seen a high success rate.
1: I have too. The other thing that I've seen is them not being able to meet the deliver the de- the product the delivery of the production schedule. So we need to have these shingles, lo- you know, landed on the driveway by this day, and the day that you can deliver them by is not working for our production schedule. And because the policy owes for a prompt repair, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to have. I mean, that's one of the things that they owe for. If the shingle is not available in the timeline in which they can get the repair done, then then you can get around that pricing. But I have not confirmed that with my own efforts as I'm not a roofer and trying to order those shingles myself. So I, I couldn't confirm that. But if you guys run into that and try that and it works, uh, let me know. If, the, po- if um, the
0: policy doesn't specifically mention a particular vendor for the products, then the policyholders don't be to use that vendor.
1: Sure. Um, I just think that it's, it's more of the carrier trying to set the value of the loss. I, I think that that's really, and, and I get it. Look, if I'm, if I'm an insurance carrier and I, and somebody doesn't stop me from setting the value of the loss and they're going to allow me to do that, then I'm certainly going to do it. I mean, that's something that I would, that I would certainly try to do if nobody stopped me, you know? Um, and, uh and I, I just love how they shroud it with, you know, customer service efforts. We've actually went, we've taken the time to source the shingle for you and I've, and I've seen that before, but um. neither here nor there um i've also run into um one of the other things that i've run into and i this just happened recently i turned in a hail trace report that confirmed damage at a location and this carrier would not look at it in fact they pulled their own version of it from from accuweather And AccuWeather did not confirm hail at that location on that date. So they would not extend coverage despite the documentation that I provided.
0: Um, you, can only, I'm be you can only prove the existence of something. You can't prove the non-existence of something. Well, and if it's not on what they're saying is if it's
1: not on their report, then it didn't happen. That's kind of what it is. And it doesn't really matter what sort of doc. Yeah, I know. And it's like just because they didn't confirm it didn't doesn't mean it didn't happen. But this guy, I was like, can you look at the documentation? And it's like he goes, I've looked at your documentation. I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I just think whatever the notes say. I mean literally that's that's word for word and I've actually got that on a recorded conversation I think I think whatever the notes say it's literally what he told me wow and I just and I was flabbergasted by that no matter what documentation that I provide it's not really going to matter what you don't care about our our effort to prove our own loss. You simply just don't care about it. And that's kind of the point of this round is we're going to this effort and a lot of times these insureds are are going into their own pocket to provide this documentation to prove their loss and it's just simply not being looked at. That that's that needs to be addressed, I believe, because the opportunity to prove the loss is certainly rest with the
0: insured. Something like that would probably fall more under the purview of the insurance commissioner in a state. And, but the, but the insurance commissioners are usually they're kind of like pharmaceutical executives at the head of the FDA. (laughs) They're insurance industry guys. (laughs) Uh, It's a revolving door. It is. And so uh, the interests that are looked out for, in the uh, office of the insurance commissioner are often not for the policy holder or the consumer. It based on, based on my learning and knowledge uh, and the people I've met and and the things I've worked on.
1: I would, I would completely. So it does need to fall with the, uh, it does need to fall within the, departments, yeah, of the departments of insurance and and it does need to it, and that's where we need to direct it i mean whether it's through filing complaint which doesn't really work very well it's just trying to get some sort of authority to appeal to when we know that we've that we've done what the policy has asked us to do and it just seems like there's just no real authority to appeal to
2: okay. If you can get someone to actually look at it with with an eye toward coverage.
1: Yeah. And and, and basically most adjusters, most adjusters are required to look at a loss with an eye torch coverage. I mean, that's part of the code of conduct. I know in Texas, it's also part of the code of conduct in Florida and many other states. These are just ones that I know of offhand. Most most adjusters are required to look at a loss with an eye towards coverage.
0: Right. And that's what I'm saying to seek coverage, you know, and and that's how that's how adjusters are traditionally taught to look at the policy, look at the condition of the situation uh, at the property and seek coverage uh, in, you know, within the bounds of the policy. Right. Um, Well, in a
1: in a carrier's world, they love to set the value of the loss. They love to do that. And most of us are found, um, at some level, you know, I mean, there's no other way to do it, but otherwise, you know, um, play in the carrier's game. And we're actually going to get into that next in round three, which starts right after this. The Pain of the Claim is looking for sponsors and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call we can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you round three the misuse of estimating software look there have been multiple people across the industry and one really kind of pops into mind uh there's a couple that pop into mind whether it's um jen silver who did one price one model she also uh, steve patrick has talked about lump sum estimating there's been a lot of this stuff that's gone on that we've attempted to basically kind of depart from using exactimate as a pricing platform to determine the cost of uh, the cost of repairs and carriers tend to want to just drill down and just use exactimate or simbility now there's a lot of commentary out there about the difference or the better of the exactimate or simbility but i'm just curious tj kind of where do you fall as it pertains to setting these values and estimating loss
0: You know, I think that whatever the pricing tool that you're using, it's just a pricing tool. And it all has to do with the way the users are using it. And I do see what I consider to be inappropriate usage of the settings and applied line items in Xactimate by representatives from the carrier side. Uh, But, you know, I'm fine with Xactimate. I think that I think that lump sum in theory, you know, should work. But in practice, I haven't seen it work that well in a lot of cases, despite people going out there and being verbal advocates for lump sum. I happen to know that a lot of those verbal advocates can't get their stuff paid without it being broken down and itemized. And in a way, maybe that's just a a little bit of a sense of due diligence on the part of the carrier. I've never understood what it hurt to use the, industry standard software, it, I've always felt like it helped me to use that product. Um, and I think that there's a legitimate way to use it in an illegitimate way. And I've sent all my people to certified um, Exact mate instructors to become certified. And I've reached out to uh, Exactware many times for clarification on things and items. And I think that when it's used properly, it's a good tool.
1: I, I completely agree with you. I find Xactimate to be incredibly accurate, at least based on how much money that, you know, when it spits out the number at the end of the report, when it spits that number out, can the contractor get the job done and we have enough money? By and large, I have found that to be the case. Now, you'll run into some houses that have some interesting appointments or finishes that that Xactimate may not be the strongest at, at at estimating. Do you know what I'm saying? It may not be sure. like the and most- commercial. Well, yeah, commercial, and and I have seen some trades tend to be, you know, a little skinnier than the others. Whereas you got a little bit of you got a little bit of meat on the bone and roofing, it tends to be a little bit skinny, maybe on cabinets and paint, and drywall, and those kinds of things, you know. But by the time you get to the end, where it's fat in one area and skinny, skinny in the other, we can do enough, Robin Peter to pay Paul that when we get down to the final number, that there's enough money there to actually get the work done. Do you know what I'm saying? And And when they when they look at it and you try to estimate it and you the deal with these estimating softwares is you have to include the labor actions. If you're not including all of the labor actions, you're obviously going to get a smaller number, which is the issue primarily with Simbility and people not liking that program is because. Those estimates, you know, a 13 line item estimate in, in Xactimate may need to be 25 or 28 line items in stability by the time you add all of the the different labor actions because they don't have as inclusive of line items like Xactimate does. And so getting them to look at and accept what would be the w- most widely accepted estimating software or to use it properly, I have seen a lot of that. It's like we're going to go with our estimate. No matter what you show, no matter what you present to them, no matter the details that are in there, the white papers that you can even present from the software, from the software developer, they still like it the way that their guidelines say do it.
0: I mean, if you're a public adjuster in this scenario, then you know I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that you can argue uh, about their settings and, and their internal process not being outlined in the policy. Um, if you're a homeowner and you're a party to the contract, then I believe you have probably more ability than anybody to say, hey, pay me or I'm going to sue you. Um, but if you're a contractor, unfortunately, it can be really challenging if you're struggling with an indifferent or inflexible adjuster.
1: What Exactly. Exactly. Especially when you're actually providing a, a fair price to what's going on, you know, and and I, I recently settled a claim for one of my clients and um, and he chose not to go with the original roofing company that he had talked to. Now, he had no signed contract. He just I mean, there was a guy that knocked on the door that alerted him to the damage. He ended up not signing a contract with him goes, do I have to use that guy? I said, well, no, you don't have to use him. You can use whoever you want to, but remember this. And I kind of explained the whole recoverable depreciation scenario to him. I said, "So you can go out for bid if you want to, but your best thing to do is hand that estimate over to that roofer because there's no real way. I mean, the only way to actually profit off of this situation would would involve you committing fraud in some kind of way. So I if you got <gasps> Self Oh, okay. Then, then jump in. Go ahead.
0: Was it in the state of Texas? Yes, it was. Does the homeowner have a roofing license? No. He don't need one because there's not any licensing for roofers right. or general contractors in the state of Texas. So if he Correct. wants to be his own GC and sub it out to a roofer, there's nothing in the laws in the state of Texas or in the policy that prohibits him from doing that.
1: So how do you if they ask for an invoice how do you get around the fact that they provided you an invoice that's less than what the RCB value of the claim was estimated at That's
0: after. my invoice I'm the contractor That's my oh, sub you don't get my saying. sub invoice so I'll put in my gotcha. invoice for the total cost of claim. I mean, it's, it's simple. It seems simple, right? But I knew the day that deductible law came out, I knew that wasn't really enforceable in the state of Texas because uh-huh. there's other laws that create an environment where there are many legal ways for somebody to handle their own claim. And I've run this by uh, both attorneys and regulators. And everybody says, well, yeah, I mean, there's no licensing. There's nothing to stop someone from doing that, especially in a place like Texas where there is no licensing. And so they can write an invoice and, and get paid. Now, if a roofer's house gets hit, he's always going to do that no matter what. And the fact that he has a roofing company doesn't mean anything because there's not any licensing or anything.
1: Right. Could he do it for himself? He could do it for himself. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And And they would, and they do. And they have. Yeah, right. (laughs) But,
0: you know, where they get into a problem when a homeowner tries to do that, if they're not very sophisticated and they don't feel confident in what they're doing, then they could make it appear uh, to come across in a way that they're doing something fraudulent, which of course is not good. And certain policies say that they want a deductible check. So in that case, I've had many people call me and ask me, what do you do? I say, write yourself a check. If it says you have to have a check, then write yourself a, a check for the deductible. If yeah. that's a part of the policy.
1: Right, 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 right. I, and about the only one that I've seen do that, there's only one carrier that I've seen actually require any kind of proof on the deductible being paid. I have not, as long as I have worked claims in the state of Texas, ever been required to prove that the du- deductible has been paid, except for one time with one carrier. And I've seen and it. I've, I've seen worked-
0: it probably 15 or 20 times.
1: Have you? I just—it's just not something that comes up a whole lot. I've not—I've not seen that proven. I—I I am more likely to see roofers require that you pay your deductible because they want the money on it. You know what I mean? They're tired. There's a lot of them that are tired of absorbing the deductible and having to compete within the marketplace for that. But yeah,
0: there are a lot of carriers that will request a check. Uh, paid and cleared from the roofers bank for the deductible before they receive the release of depreciation. Now there's ways to fight about it, but some of the policies do contain verbiage since the Texas law change about deductibles. But like I said, there's still legitimate workarounds. Uh, I do think in general, that I mean, I'm pro licensing personally. You know, I was Me an electrical too. contractor for years, and there's a lot of good things about licensing. But I've also met with state representatives in Texas that were concerned that licensing would be used to uh, leverage things against immigrant communities.
1: Sure. Well, I and I've actually I've actually run into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? I've run in, I've run into some of that. And, and by and large, like in Texas, what we have is, is and, and most anybody who's listening to the show realizes that whatever roofing company, you know, call it ABC roofing is not the actual individuals that install your roof. Now they may oversee it to some degree. They may order your material for you, but by and large, they are subbing that out to a roof installation crew that does not advertise, that does not have a Google My Business, that, you know, doesn't have a, a, a Facebook page. They don't have a website. You know, they are just a group of guys that are that are working really hard doing a job that most people from this country don't really want to do. You know what I'm saying? And there's a and, and even our most skilled workers that that have the ability to install these things properly are in that category. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm appreciative of those guys, because if if someone like myself were were to do that job, (laughs) I guarantee you I'm going to want a lot more money than those boys get paid for the job that they do in one hundred and ten degree heat in Texas. You know, in no, the summer.
0: No, you're not doing that job. Almost no matter no. what, you're not doing that job. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 really, I think, need to have a respect and appreciation for our immigrant labor force. And I think if there were more legal work permits, it would be a great thing. I've been an advocate for that. Me too. Um, so, you know, I, I understand like it was Reprimone from Haltom City that, that I met with uh, with some NT, uh, RCA people uh, about those laws back then and about licensing. And I respect his position on his concerns with the Immigrant Labor Force. And I respect it even more now, seeing how the state of Florida has cracked down on um, illegal workers and the contractors there are having a crisis now trying to get these jobs built. So what? Do, uh,
1: let me just ask you this one quick question, and I mean, I know it's a bit of a departure from our topic, but let me ask you this, where there is licensing, where they do have roofing licensing in in the states that they have it. Now, you'll see these roofing sales organizations, for lack of a better term, they'll go get their license. They'll be licensed roofers. You see that they get certified either with Atlas or GAF or whatever different certifications they have to install their different products. You know, they adhere to the, they make sure that they're buying the products and making sure that they're installed correctly. But are the roofing crews licensed? Do each of those laborers and workers have to be licensed in some of these other states?
0: In some of the states, they do. I don't know the rules for all the states, but like in the state of Florida, um, the subcontractors, the installers, they had to also be licensed, which meant they had to be like um, a W-2 employee of the roofing company covered on the roofing company's workers' comp, or they Mm -hmm. had to have their own company with their own company license and workers' comp.
1: Well, and I know that's the way it is in Florida you know, they, that, that is, that is absolutely 100% the way. That, and it was like that for hurricane Michael. I worked, I worked there actually with a roofing company um, in, for hurricane Michael. I was in Florida for four months, kind of helping run their supplement desk, so to speak. And and I understood, and, and it kind of scratched my head on what, and I didn't really understand it at first, but then I realized this all drills down to licensing, and Texas doesn't license general contractors or roofers. In fact, uh, there was there was talk at one point in time they were going to quit licensing plumbers. Now, I don't think that they ever got down that road very far, but there was they, talk. They
0: did that. for a minute. They did for a minute, and then it was like repealed or overturned, which, uh, thank God, because now we probably would have Stuff floating in the streets
1: Especially after the big freeze we had In 21 I'm glad we right. had a bunch Of licensed plumbers knowing what they Were doing because I bet that was that would Have been an absolute nightmare to oh, say gross. The least you know what I'm yeah. saying Thank God for the licensed plumbers And I and I like you am advocate for But at that point in time once we Have licenses and we Have those licenses that means with A license there's a licensing board And a governing body for those things that you have to answer to and if if you get into if you get into estimating softwares and what it takes to maintain those things there i mean that could really change the price of things and i and i'm wondering i'm wondering within the exactimate software um take in texas like take hvacs take the uh, you know heating you know hvac the HVAC trade when they come in and they have to replace a, you know, a unit or whatever the case may be. And all of the different concerns and safety protocols that they have to have in place because they have W-2 employees inside of hot attics or cold attics or whatever the case may be, or, you know, enclosed spaces where you could have, you know, escaping gas and all kinds of different things that are going on that you have to be, you know, cognizant of and aware of that some of those safety measures, which I by and large don't see a whole lot of safety measures on insurance estimates when they roll out from the carrier, that could obviously be a concern as it pertains to defending their license.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) absolutely. And that's why some people do work like the, um, the labor trade code. Uh, argument in Xactimate, DMO to RFG and things like that. Sure. Uh, people often argue that from a workers' comp standpoint because very clearly, the uh, sometimes the same carriers that would never let your demolition guy get on the roof <laughs> and tear that roof off, sometimes their other arm of the same carrier is telling you that they can pay you for a labor or demolition person to get on the roof and tear the shingles off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So it's, yeah. you realize it's now it's, it would be the same insurance company that would pay the workers comp claim or that would refuse to pay the workers comp claim when you had a non-roofer on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> that That's then trying to pay you the rate that would get you in trouble with the same company in a different scenario. Yeah, but that's a different claim, and what I'm dealing
1: with is this claim here, sir. And uh, <laughs> we can only deal with this claim here, sir. And coverage stops at you know the edge of the roof, and that's you know you know so if they fall <laughs> off, there's no coverage for that, you know. And so they're they're not covered once they're 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 no longer covered right before they hit the ground. So, uh, you know, but that's that's still liability that lays against it could fall against that policy in some level if the homeowner is ultimately liable for what's going on. At their house you know whether they have you know the liability the liability clause that exists within their own homeowner's policy that's affecting coverage for the claim at hand you know and and providing you know they could be held liable for that i mean trust me usually when people sue and they go to an they go to an attorney and says i want to sue for this situation here the attorney doesn't just go look for one guy He's looking for everybody that could be involved, anybody that might be liable, especially in a moderate comparative
0: state where they assign percentages of liability to people. So, well, and, I, I, I and, don't and when it comes much. down to it, it's those people's insurance companies they're going after. Sure,
1: absolutely. Anybody who's got some sort of liability coverage, that's who they're going after. And that's, and that by and large is what, is what drives, you know, those sorts of whether it's lawsuits or, or liability claims, let's just say it's liability claims. I want to be clear. I'm not an attorney and nothing I say should be, should be construed as legal advice in any kind of way, because I did not go to law school. (laughs) I barely went to regular school. So (laughs) anyway, um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the rumble. TJ, do you have any final thoughts, any parting messages, any nuggets of wisdom you want to leave us with?
0: Nope, just that it's great to see you too today. Aww.
1: Oh, it's great to see
0: you too. How's Miss Jackie doing? She's doing good. We're all staying pretty busy and hot.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um and how is the uh EOS thing going for her? I know I noticed that she got her official implementer license, which is cool.
0: It's It's great. Yeah, we've been working together on that, um helping companies get themselves in order. You know, it's uh Paradise ran on EOS, Premier Claims runs on EOS, NTS was founded on EOS from day one. A lot of big companies uh-huh. uh, have found that that's a really solid framework for them to have scalable growth.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that we want to do is uh, w- what we want to do here on the Rumble is because one of the, while we all work claims and focus on claims, one of the things that I know that Donna and I struggled with when we were establishing Remedy Claims was infrastructure of the firm. Like I knew how to sure. work claims. I knew how to work claims. I didn't have any problem with working claims. It's all of the other stuff that comes with running the business and and having that plan is really critical. So I know that we want to have uh, Jackie on at some point in time and kind of talk about some of those struggles. And and, and, I, and I believe that it will be something that a bunch of people really and truly listen to because I know there's a lot of questions out there. and Very,
0: uh, very common problem. Very common problem for small business. Yeah, it's
1: you know, and and just real quick before I let you go, TJ, is is there is there an EOS model that exists for the guys that are just kind of solo, or they work maybe with their spouse, that kind of thing? Is there some kind of model that you guys can employ and help those guys out with?
0: You know, really, um, you know, we can help people implement some specific principles uh, and personality assessments, right? People right seat. That's a big part of these things for starting or creating something that's scalable. But really, EOS works better um, once you've got a handful of people. I think most companies probably probably have 10 or close to 10 employees total a lot of companies that adopt uh, eos and because the accountability is spread out amongst a lot of different people and it's designed that way you have Mm -hmm. to have multiple people to spread that accountability across
1: sure sure well we're excited to talk to her about that and i'm sure that's going to be in a future episode at some point in time but uh guys we will be back next week and in the meantime stay ready so you don't have to get ready and we We'll see you on the next
2: one. don't even try to diminish it.
1: I won't start it, but I
0: It's simple. It seems simple. Right. But I knew the day that deductible law came out, I knew that wasn't really enforceable in the state of Texas because Uh there's other laws that create an environment where there are many legal ways for somebody to handle their own claim. And I've run this by uh, both attorneys and regulators. And everybody says, well, yeah, I mean, there's no licensing. There's nothing to stop someone from doing that, especially in a place like Texas where there is no licensing. And so they can write an invoice and, and get paid. Now, if a roofer's house gets hit, he's always going to do that no matter what. And the fact that he has a roofing company doesn't mean anything because there's not any licensing or anything.
1: Right. Could he do it for himself? He could do it for himself. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, and there's and they would and they do, but yeah, right. But
0: you know where they get into a problem when a homeowner tries to do that if they're not very sophisticated and they don't feel confident in what they're doing, then they could make it appear uh, to come across in a way that they're doing something fraudulent, which of course is not good. And certain policies say that they want a deductible check. So in that case, I've had many people call me and ask me, "What do you do?" I say, "Write yourself a check. If it says you have to have a check, then write yourself a, a check for the deductible." If yeah. that's a part of the policy.
1: Right, 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 right. I, and about the only one that I've seen do that, there's only one carrier that I've seen actually require any kind of proof on the deductible being paid. I have not, as long as I have worked claims in the state of Texas, ever been required to prove that the du- deductible has been paid, except for one time with one
0: carrier. And I've seen and it. I've, I've worked- seen it probably 15 or 20 times. Have you? I
1: just, it's just not something that comes up a whole lot. I've not, I've not seen that proven. I, I am more likely to see roofers require that you pay your deductible because they want the money on it. You know what I mean? They're tired. There's a lot of them that are tired of absorbing the deductible and having to compete within the marketplace for that. But yeah.
0: There are a lot of carriers that will request a check. Uh, paid and cleared from the roofers bank for the deductible before they receive the release of depreciation. Now there's ways to fight about it, but some of the policies do contain verbiage since the Texas law change about deductibles. But like I said, there's still legitimate workarounds. Uh, I do think in general, that, I mean, I'm pro licensing personally. You know, I was an Me electrical too. contractor for years, and there's a lot of good things about licensing, but I've also met with state representatives in Texas that were concerned that licensing would be used to uh, leverage things against immigrant communities. Sure.
1: Well, I, and I've actually, I've actually run into that a little bit Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. i mean i've run in, i've run into some of that and and by and large like in texas what we have is is and and most anybody who's listening to this show realizes that whatever roofing company you know call it abc roofing is not the actual individuals that install your roof now they may oversee it to some degree they may order your material for you but by and large they are subbing that out to a roof installation crew that does not advertise, that does not have a Google My Business, that, you know, doesn't have a, a, a Facebook page. They don't have a website. You know, they are just a group of guys that are that are working really hard doing a job that most people from this country don't really want to do. You know what I'm saying? And there's a and, and even our most skilled workers that that have the ability to install these things properly are in that category. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm appreciative of those guys, because if if someone like myself were were to do that job, (laughs) I guarantee you I'm going to want a lot more money than those boys get paid for the job that they do in one hundred and ten degree heat in Texas. You know, in no, the summer, no,
0: you're not doing that job. Almost no matter no. what, you're not doing that job, and uh, yeah, we 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 really, I think, need to have a respect and appreciation for our immigrant labor force. And I think if there were more legal work permits, it would be a great thing. I've been an advocate for that. Me too. Um, so, you know, I, I understand, like, it was reprimand from Haltom City that, that I met with, uh, with some NT uh, RCA people uh, about those laws back then and about licensing. And I respect his position on his concerns with the Immigrant Labor Force. And I respect it even more now, seeing how the state of Florida has cracked down on um, illegal workers. And the contractors there are having a crisis now trying to get these jobs built.
1: So what? what uh, let me just ask you this one quick question, and I mean, I know it's a bit of a departure from our topic, but let me ask you this, where there is licensing, where they do have roofing licensing in in the states that they have it. Now, you'll see these roofing sales organizations, for lack of a better term, they'll go get their license. They'll be licensed roofers. You see that they get certified either with Atlas or GAF or whatever different certifications they have to install their different products. You know, they adhere to the, they make sure that they're buying the products and making sure that they're installed correctly. But are the roofing crews licensed? Do each of those laborers and workers have to be licensed in some of these other states?
0: In some of the states they do. I don't know the rules for all the states, but like in the state of Florida, um, the subcontractors, the installers, they had to also be licensed, which meant they had to be like, um, a W two employee of the roofing company covered on the roofing company's workers comp, or they mm-hmm. had to have their own company with their own company license and workers comp.
1: Well, and, and I know that's the way it is in Florida. You know, they that that is that is absolutely one hundred percent the way, that, and it was like that for Hurricane Michael. I worked I worked there actually with a roofing company. Um, for hurricane Michael, I was in Florida for four months, kind of helping run their supplement desk, so to speak. And, and I understood, and and it kind of scratched my head on what, and I didn't really understand it at first, but then I realized this all drills down to licensing and Texas doesn't license general contractors or roofers. In fact, uh, there was, there was talk at one point in time, they were going to quit licensing plumbers. Now, I don't think that they ever got down that road very far, but there was, they they
0: did for a minute. They did for a minute, and then it was like repealed or overturned. Which, uh, thank God, because now we probably would have stuff floating in the streets. <laughs> uh, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Especially after the big freeze we had in twenty one. I'm glad we had a bunch of licensed plumbers knowing what they were doing, because I bet that was that would have been an absolute nightmare to say the least. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Thank God for the licensed plumbers. And I and I like you am advocate for, but at that point in time, once we have licenses. And we have those licenses. That means with a license, there's a licensing board and a governing body for those things that you have to answer to. And if if you get into if you get into estimating softwares and what it takes to maintain those things, there. I mean, that could really change the price of things. And I and I'm wondering, I'm wondering within the Xactimate software, um, take in Texas, like take HVACs, take the uh, you know he you know HVAC the HVAC trade when they come in and they have to replace a, you know, a unit or whatever the case may be. And all of the different concerns and safety protocols that they have to have in place because they have W-2 employees inside of hot attics or cold attics or whatever the case may be, or, you know, enclosed spaces where you could have, you know, uh, escaping gas and all kinds of different things that are going on that you have to be, you know, cognizant of and aware of that some of those safety measures, which I by and large don't see a whole lot of safety measures on insurance estimates when they roll out from the carrier, that could obviously be a concern as it pertains to defending their license.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) absolutely. And that's why some people do work like the, um, the labor trade code. Uh, argument in Xactimate, DMO to RFG and things like that. Sure. Uh, people often argue that from a worker's comp standpoint because very clearly, the uh, sometimes the same carriers that would never let your demolition guy get on the roof <laughs> and tear that roof off, sometimes their other arm of the same carrier is telling you that they can pay you for a labor or demolition person to get on the roof and tear the shingles off. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah. you realize
0: it's now it's, it would be the same insurance company that would pay the workers comp claim or that would refuse to pay the workers comp claim when you had a non-roofer on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> that That's then trying to pay you the rate that would get you in trouble with the same company in a different scenario.
1: Yeah, but that's a different claim And what I'm dealing with is this claim here, sir And uh, we can only deal with this claim here, sir And coverage stops at, you know, the edge of the roof And that's, you know, you know so if they fall off There's no coverage for that, you know so they're, they're not covered once they're, they're, they're no longer covered right before they hit the ground So, uh, you know, but that's, that's still liability that lays against It could fall against that policy in some level If the homeowner is ultimately liable for what's going on at their house, you know, whether they have, you know, the liability, the liability clause that exists within their own homeowner's policy that's affecting coverage for the claim at hand, you know, and, and providing, you know, they could be held liable for that. I mean, trust me, usually when people sue and they go to an, they go to an attorney and says, I want to sue for this situation here. The attorney doesn't just go look for one guy. He's looking for everybody that could be involved, anybody that might be liable, especially in a moderate comparative state where they assign percentages of
0: liability to people. So, well, and, I, I, and, I don't and when it comes people. down to it, it's those people's insurance companies they're going after.
1: Sure, absolutely. Anybody who's got some sort of liability coverage, that's who they're going after. And that's, and that by and large is what, is what <laughs> drives, you know, those sorts of. Whether it's lawsuits or, or liability claims, let's just say it's liability claims. I want to be clear. I'm not an attorney, and nothing I say should be, should be construed as legal advice in any kind of way because I did not go to law school. <laughs> I barely went to regular school. So <laughs> anyway, um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Rumble. TJ, do you have any final thoughts, any parting messages, any nuggets of wisdom you want to leave us with?
0: Nope, just that it's great to see you two today.
1: Oh, it's great to see you too. How's Miss Jackie doing? She's doing good. We're
0: all staying pretty busy and hot.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, and how is the uh EOS thing going for her? I know I noticed that she got her official implementer license, which is cool. It's
0: it's great. Yeah, we've been working together on that. Um, helping companies get themselves in order. You know, it's uh Paradise ran on EOS, Premier Claims runs on EOS, NTS was founded on EOS from day one. A lot of big companies uh-huh. uh, have found that that's a really solid framework for them to have scalable growth.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that we want to do is uh, w- what we want to do here on the Rumble is because one of the, while we all work claims and focus on claims, one of the things that I know that Donna and I struggled with when we were establishing Remedy Claims was infrastructure of the firm. Like I knew how to sure. work claims. I knew how to work claims. I didn't have any problem with working claims. It's all of the other stuff that comes with running the business and, and having that plan is really critical. So I know that we want to have uh, Jackie on at some point in time and kind of talk about some of those struggles. And, and, and I, and I believe that it will be something that a bunch of people really and truly listen to because I know there's a lot of questions out there and uh, very,
0: very common problem, very common problem for small business.
1: Yeah, that's you know, and and just real quick before I let you go, TJ, is is there is there an EOS model that exists for the guys that are just kind of solo or they work maybe with their spouse, that kind of thing? Is there some kind of model that you guys can employ and help those guys out with?
0: You know, really, um, you know, we can help people implement some specific principles uh, and personality assessments, right? People right seat. That's a big part of these things for starting or creating something that's scalable. But really, EOS works better um, once you've got a handful of people. I think most companies probably probably have 10 or close to 10 employees total a lot of companies that adopt uh, eos and because the accountability is spread out amongst a lot of different people and it's designed that way you have Mm -hmm. to have multiple people to spread that accountability across
1: sure sure well we're excited to talk to her about that and i'm sure that's going to be in a future episode at some point in time but uh guys we will be back next week and in the meantime stay ready so you don't have to get ready and we We'll see you on the next one. I
2: won't it, but I finish it.
0: Oh, okay. Then then jump in. Go ahead. Was it in the state of Texas? Yes, it was. Does the homeowner have a roofing license? No, he don't need one because there's not any licensing for roofers right. or general contractors in the state of Texas. So if he Correct. wants to be his own GC and sub it out to a roofer, there's nothing in the laws in the state of Texas or in the policy that prohibits him from doing that.
1: So how do you, if they ask for an invoice? How do you get around the fact that they provided you an invoice that's less than what the RCB value of the claim was estimated? That's after. my
0: invoice. I'm the contractor. That's my oh, sub. You don't get you're my saying. sub invoice. So oh, I'll put in my gotcha. invoice for the total cost of claim. I mean it's no it's not I mean, I'm not joking. You're laughing, but it's perfectly legitimate. No, it's no, no you're right, day. you're right. I I laugh if a roofer, if it's it's simple, it seems simple, right? But I knew the day that deductible law came out, I knew that wasn't really enforceable in the state of Texas because Uh there's other laws that create an environment where there are many legal ways for somebody to handle their own claim. And I've run this by uh, both attorneys and regulators. And everybody says, well, yeah, I mean, there's no licensing. There's nothing to stop someone from doing that, especially in a place like Texas where there is no licensing. And so they can write an invoice and, and get paid. Now, if a roofer's house gets hit, he's always going to do that no matter what. And the fact that he has a roofing company doesn't mean anything because there's not any licensing or anything.
1: Right. Could he do it for himself? He could do it for himself. Absolutely. 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 And, there's and they would, wrong. and they do. And but, yeah, right. <laughs> but,
0: you know, where they get into a problem when a homeowner tries to do that, if they're not very sophisticated and they don't feel confident in what they're doing, then they could make it appear uh, to come across in a way that they're doing something fraudulent, which, of course, is not good. And certain policies say that they want a deductible check. So in that case, I've had many people call me and ask me, what do you do? I say, write yourself a check. If it says you have to have a check, then write yourself a, a check for the deductible if that's a part of the policy
1: right 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 and about the only one that i've seen do that there's only one carrier that i've seen actually require any kind of proof on the deductible being paid i have not as long as i have worked claims in the state of texas ever been required to prove that the deductible has been paid except for one time with one carrier and i've seen it i've I've seen it probably 15 or 20 times Have you, I just, it's just not something that comes up a whole lot. I've not, I've not seen that proven. I I am more likely to see roofers require that you pay your deductible because they want the money on it. You know what I mean? They're tired of, there's a lot of them that are tired of absorbing the deductible and having to compete within the marketplace for that. But yeah,
0: there are a lot of carriers that will request a check, uh, paid and cleared from the roofers bank for the deductible before they receive the release of depreciation. Now there's ways to fight about it, but some of the policies do contain verbiage since the Texas law change about deductibles. But like I said, there's still legitimate workarounds. Uh, I do think in general, that I mean, I'm pro licensing personally. You know, I was an Me electrical too. contractor for years, and there's a lot of good things about licensing. But I've also met with state representatives in Texas that were concerned that licensing would be used to uh, leverage things against immigrant communities. Sure.
1: Well, I and I've actually I've actually run into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've run in I've run into some of that. And and by and large like in Texas what we have is is and and most anybody who's listening to the show realizes that whatever roofing company, you know, call it ABC Roofing, is not the actual individuals that install your roof. Now they may oversee it to some degree. They may order your material for you, but by and large they are subbing that out to a roof installation crew that does not advertise that does not have a google my business that you know doesn't have a, a a facebook page they don't have a website you know they are just a group of guys that are that are working really hard doing a job that most people from this country don't really want to do you know what i'm saying and there's a and and even our most skilled workers that that have the ability to install these things properly are in that category You know what I'm saying? And and I'm appreciative of those guys, because if if someone like myself were were to do that job, (laughs) I guarantee you I'm going to want a lot more money than those boys get paid for the job that they do in one hundred and ten degree heat in Texas. You know, in no, the summer,
0: no, you're not doing that job. Almost no matter <laughs> what, you're not doing that job, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 really, I think, need to have a respect and appreciation for our immigrant labor force. And I think if there were more legal work permits, it would be a great thing. I've been an advocate for that. Me too. Um, so, you know, I, I understand, like, it was Rep Ramon from Haltom City that, that I met with, uh, with some NT, uh, RCA people uh, about those laws back then and about licensing. And I respect his position on his concerns with the Immigrant Labor Force. And I respect it even more now, seeing how the state of Florida has cracked down on um, illegal workers. And the contractors there are having a crisis now trying to get these jobs built. So what, do, what? let me
1: just ask you this one quick question, and I mean, I know it's a bit of a departure from our topic, but let me ask you this, where there is licensing, where they do have roofing licensing in in the states that they have it. Now, you'll see these roofing sales organizations, for lack of a better term, they'll go get their license. They'll be licensed roofers. You see that they get certified either with Atlas or GAF or whatever different certifications they have to install their different products. You know, they adhere to the, they make sure that they're buying the products and making sure that they're installed correctly. But are the roofing crews licensed? Do each of those laborers and workers have to be licensed in some of these other states?
0: In some of the states, they do. I don't know the rules for all the states, but like in the state of Florida, um, the subcontractors, the installers, they had to also be licensed, which meant they had to be like um, a W-2 employee of the roofing company covered on the roofing company's workers' comp, or they Mm -hmm. had to have their own company with their own company license and workers' comp.
1: Well, and I know that's the way it is in Florida you know they, they that is that is absolutely 100% the way that, and it was like that for hurricane michael i worked i worked there actually with a roofing company um, it, for hurricane Michael, I was in Florida for four months, kind of helping run their supplement desk, so to speak. And, and I understood, and, and it kind of scratched my head on what, and I didn't really understand it at first, but then I realized this all drills down to licensing and Texas doesn't license general contractors or roofers. In fact, uh, there was, there was talk at one point in time, they were going to quit licensing plumbers. Now, I don't think that they ever got down that road very far, but there was they, they
0: did the for a minute. They did for a minute, and then it was like repealed or overturned, which uh, thank God, because now we probably would have stuff floating in the streets. <laughs> uh, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Especially after the big freeze we had in 21. I'm glad we had a bunch of licensed plumbers knowing what they were doing, because I bet that, was, that would have been an absolute nightmare, to say the least. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Thank God for the licensed plumbers. And I, and I like you, am advocate for – but at that point in time, once we have licenses – and we have those licenses. That means with a license, there's a licensing board and a governing body for those things that you have to answer to. And if, if you get into, if you get into estimating softwares and what it takes to maintain those things, there, I mean, that could really change the price of things. And I, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering within the Xactimate software, um, take in Texas, like take HVACs, take the, uh, you know, he you know, HVAC. The HVAC trade, when they come in and they have to replace a you know a unit or whatever the case may be, and all of the different concerns and safety protocols that they have to have in place because they have W two employees inside of hot attics or cold attics or whatever the case may be, or you know enclosed spaces where you could have you know uh, escaping gas and all kinds of different things that are going on that you have to be you know cognizant cognizant of and aware of that some of those safety measures, which I by and large don't see a whole lot of safety measures on insurance estimates when they roll out from the carrier, that could obviously be a concern as it pertains to defending their license.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) absolutely. And that's why some people do work like the, um, the labor trade code uh, argument in exact DMO to RFG and things like that. Sure. Uh, people often argue that from a worker's comp standpoint, because very clearly the, uh, sometimes the same carriers that would never let your demolition guy get on the roof <laughs> and tear that roof off. Sometimes their other arm of the same carrier is telling you that they can pay you for a labor or demolition person to get on the roof and tear the shingles off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it's, yeah. you
0: realize it's now it's, it would be the same insurance company that would pay the workers comp claim or that would refuse to pay the workers comp claim when you had a non roofer on the roof. Yeah, <laughs> that that's then trying to pay you the rate that would get you in trouble with the same company in a different scenario.
1: Yeah, but that's a different claim. And what I'm dealing with is this claim here, sir. And uh, we can only deal with this claim here, sir. And coverage stops at, you know, the edge of the roof. And that's, you know, you know, so if they fall off, there's no coverage for that. You know, and So they're they're not covered once they're 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 no longer covered right before they hit the ground. So, uh, you know, but that's that's still liability that lays against it could fall against that policy in some level if the homeowner is ultimately liable for what's going on at their house you know whether they have you know the liability the liability clause that exists within their own homeowner's policy that's affecting coverage for the claim at hand you know and and providing you know they could be held liable for that i mean trust me usually when people sue and they go to an they go to an attorney and says i want to sue for this situation here the attorney doesn't just go look for one guy He's looking for everybody that could be involved, anybody that might be liable, especially in a moderate comparative
0: state where they assign percentages of liability to people. So, well, and, I, I, I and, don't and, and when it comes money. down to it, it's those people's insurance companies they're going after. Sure,
1: absolutely, anybody who's got some sort of liability coverage—that's who they're going after, and that's—and that, by and large, is what is what drives you know those sorts of whether it's lawsuits or, or liability claims, let's just say it's liability claims. I want to be clear. I'm not an attorney and nothing I say should be, should be construed as legal advice in any kind of way, because I did not go to law school. (laughs) I barely went to regular school. So (laughs) anyway, um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the rumble. TJ, do you have any final thoughts, any parting messages, any nuggets of wisdom you want to leave us with?
0: Nope, just that it's great to see you two today. Oh, it's great to see you too. How's Miss
1: Jackie doing?
0: She's doing good. We're all staying pretty busy and hot.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um and how is the uh EOS thing going for her? I know I noticed that she got her official implementer license, which is cool.
0: It's it's great. Yeah, we've been working together on that. Um helping companies get themselves in order. You know, it's uh, Paradise ran on EOS, Premier Claims runs on EOS, NTS was founded on EOS from day one. A lot of big companies Uh uh, have found that that's a really solid framework for them to have scalable growth.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that we want to do is uh, what we want to do here on the Rumble is because while we all work claims and focus on claims, one of the things that I know that Donna and I struggled with when we were establishing remedy claims was infrastructure of the firm. Like I knew how to sure. work claims. I knew how to work claims. I didn't have any problem with working claims. It's all of the other stuff that comes with running the business and, and having that plan is really critical. So I know that we want to have uh, Jackie on at some point in time and kind of talk about some of those struggles. And, and, and I, and I believe that it will be something that a bunch of people really and truly listen to, because I know there's a lot of questions out there
0: and very, uh, very common problem, very common problem for small business.
1: Yeah. That's, you know, and, and just real quick, before I let you go, TJ, is, is there is there an EOS model that exists for the guys that are just kind of solo or they work maybe with their spouse, that kind of thing? Is there some kind of model that you guys can employ and help those guys out with?
0: You know, really, um, you know, we can help people implement some specific principles uh, and personality assessments, right? People right seat. That's a big part of these things for starting or creating something that's scalable. But really, EOS works better um, once you've got a handful of people. I think most companies probably probably have 10 or close to 10. Employees total, a lot of companies that adopt uh, EOS, and because the accountability is spread out amongst a lot of different people, and it's designed that way, you have Mm -hmm. to have multiple people to spread that accountability across.
1: Sure, sure. Well, we're excited to talk to her about that, and I'm sure that's going to be in a future episode at some point in time. But uh guys, we will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. Yes. Oh, okay. Then then jump in. Go ahead.
0: Was it in the state of Texas? Yes, it was. Does the homeowner have a roofing license? No. He don't need one because there's not any licensing for roofers right. or general contractors in the state of Texas. So if he Correct. wants to be his own GC and sub it out to a roofer, there's nothing in the laws in the state of Texas or in the policy that prohibits him from doing that.
1: So how do you, if they ask for an invoice, how do you get around the fact that they provided you an invoice that's less than what the RCB value of the claim was estimated at? That's
0: my invoice. I'm the contractor. That's my oh, sub, you don't get my saying. sub invoice. So oh, i in my I gotcha. invoice for the total cost of the claim. I mean it's no, it's not I mean I'm not joking, you're laughing but it's perfectly legitimate. No, 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 you're right, day. you're right. I I laugh because if a roofer, it's, it's, it's if a it's, it's simple, it seems simple, right? But I knew the day that deductible law came out, I knew that wasn't really enforceable in the state of Texas because uh-huh. there's other laws that create an environment where there are many legal ways for somebody to handle their own claim. And I've run this by uh, both attorneys and regulators. And everybody says, well, yeah, I mean, there's no licensing. There's nothing to stop someone from doing that, especially in a place like Texas where there is no licensing. And so they can write an invoice and, and get paid. Now, if a roofer's house gets hit, he's always going to do that no matter what. And the fact that he has a roofing company doesn't mean anything because there's not any licensing or anything.
1: Right. Could he do it for himself? He could do it for himself. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, there's and they would, wrong.
0: and they do. And but, yeah, right. And <laughs> But, you know, where they get into a problem when a homeowner tries to do that, if they're not very sophisticated and they don't feel confident in what they're doing, they, then they could make it appear uh, to come across in a way that they're doing something fraudulent, which of course is not good. And certain policies say that they want a deductible check. So in that case, I've had many people call me and ask me, what do you do? I say, write yourself a check. If it says you have to have a check, then write yourself a, a check for the deductible. If yeah. that's a part of the policy.
1: Right, 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 right. I, and about the only one that I've seen do that, there's only one carrier that I've seen actually require any kind of proof on the deductible being paid. I have not, as long as I have worked claims in the state of Texas, ever been required to prove that the du- deductible has been paid, except for one time with one carrier.
0: And I've seen and it. I've, I've seen it probably 15 or 20 times. Have you, I just, it's
1: just not something that comes up a whole lot. I've not, I've not seen that proven. I I am more likely to see roofers require that you pay your deductible because they want the money on it. You know what I mean? They're tired of, there's a lot of them that are tired of absorbing the deductible and having to compete within the marketplace for that. But yeah,
0: there are a lot of carriers that will request a check, uh, paid and cleared from the roofers bank for the deductible before they receive the release of depreciation. Now there's ways to fight about it, but some of the policies do contain verbiage since the Texas law change about deductibles. But like I said, there's still legitimate workarounds. Uh, I do think in general, that, I mean, I'm pro licensing personally. You know, I was an Me electrical too. contractor for years, and there's a lot of good things about licensing, but I've also met with state representatives in Texas that were concerned that licensing would be used to uh, leverage things against immigrant communities. Sure.
1: Well, I, and I've actually, I've actually run into that a little bit mm-hmm. you know what i mean i've run in, i've run into some of that and and by and large like in texas what we have is is and and most anybody who's listening to the show realizes that whatever roofing company you know call it abc roofing is not the actual individuals that install your roof now they may oversee it to some degree they may order your material for you but by and large they are subbing that out to a roof installation crew that does not advertise, that does not have a Google My Business, that, you know, doesn't have a, a, a Facebook page. They don't have a website. You know, they are just a group of guys that are that are working really hard doing a job that most people from this country don't really want to do. You know what I'm saying? And there's a and, and even our most skilled workers that that have the ability to install these things properly are in that category. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm appreciative of those guys because if, if someone like myself were, were to do that job, (laughs) I guarantee you, I'm going to want a lot more money than those boys get paid for the job that they do in 110 degree heat in Texas you know in no, the summer. No,
0: you're not doing that job almost no matter yeah. what. You're not doing that job. And uh <laughs> yeah, we 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 really I think need to have a respect and appreciation for our immigrant labor force. And I think if there were more legal work permits, it would be a great thing. I've been an advocate for that. Me too. Um, so, you know, I, I understand, like, it was Rep Ramone from Haltom City that, that I met with, uh, with some NT uh, RCA people uh, about those laws back then and about licensing. And I respect his position on his concerns with the Immigrant Labor Force. And I respect it even more now, seeing how the state of Florida has cracked down on um, illegal workers. And the contractors there are having a crisis now trying to get these jobs built.
1: So what do what let me just ask you this one quick question. And I mean, I know it's a bit of a departure from our topic, but let me ask you this where there is licensing, where they do have roofing licensing in in the states that they have it. Now you'll see these roofing sales organizations, for lack of a better term, they'll go get their license. They'll be licensed roofers. You see that they get certified either with Atlas or GAF or whatever different certifications they have to install their different products. You know, they adhere to the. They make sure that they're buying the products and making sure that they're installed correctly. But are the roofing crews licensed? Do each of those laborers and workers have to be licensed in some of these other states?
0: In some of the states, they do. I don't know the rules for all the states, but like in the state of Florida, um, the subcontractors, the installers, they had to also be licensed, which meant they had to be like um, a W-2 employee of the roofing company covered on the roofing company's workers' comp. Or they Mm -hmm. had to have their own company with their own company license and workers' comp.
1: Well, and I know that's the way it is in Florida. You know, they, that, that is, that is absolutely 100% the way that, and it was like that for Hurricane Michael. I worked, I worked there actually with a roofing company, um, in, for Hurricane Michael. I was in Florida for four months, kind of helping run their supplement desk, so to speak, and, and I understood, and, and it kind of scratched my head on what, and I didn't really understand it at first, but then I realized this all drills down to licensing, and Texas doesn't license general contractors or roofers. In fact, uh, there was there was talk at one point in time they were going to quit licensing plumbers. Now, I don't think that they ever got down that road very far, but there was They, talk they
0: did time. for a minute. They did for a minute, and then it was like repealed or overturned, which, uh, thank God, because now we probably would have stuff floating in the streets (laughs) Uh, yeah right
1: (laughs) especially after the big freeze we had in 21 i'm glad we had a bunch of licensed plumbers knowing what they were doing because i bet that was that would have been an absolute nightmare to say the least (laughs) you know what i'm saying thank god for the licensed plumbers and i and i like you am advocate for but at that point in time once we have licenses and we have those licenses that means with a license there's a licensing board and a governing body for those things that you have to answer to, and if if you get into if you get into estimating softwares and what it takes to maintain those things, there I mean that could really change the price of things. And I and I'm wondering I'm wondering within the exactimate software, um, take in Texas like take HVACs, take the uh, you know he you know HVAC the HVAC trade. When they come in and they have to replace a you know a unit or whatever the case may be, and all of the different concerns and safety protocols that they have to have in place because they have W two employees inside of hot attics or cold attics or whatever the case may be, or you know enclosed spaces where you could have you know uh, escaping gas and all kinds of different things that are going on that you have to be you know cognizant cognizant of and aware of that some of those safety measures, which I by and large don't see a whole lot of safety measures on insurance estimates when they roll out from the carrier, that could obviously be a concern as it pertains to defending their license.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) absolutely. And that's why some people do work like the, um, the labor trade code. Uh, argument in Xactimate, DMO to RFG and things like that. Sure. Uh, people often argue that from a worker's comp standpoint because very clearly, the uh, sometimes the same carriers that would never let your demolition guy get on the roof <laughs> and tear that roof off, sometimes their other arm of the same carrier is telling you that they can pay you for a labor or demolition person to get on the roof and tear the shingles off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah. you realize it's now it's, it would be the same insurance company that would pay the workers comp claim or that would refuse to pay the workers comp claim when you had a non-roofer on the roof. Yeah, <laughs> that that's then trying to pay you the rate that would get you in trouble with the same company in a different scenario.
1: Yeah, but that's a different claim, and what I'm dealing with is this claim here, sir. And uh, we can only deal with this claim here, sir. And coverage stops at you know the edge of the roof, and that's you know you know so if they fall <laughs> off, there's no coverage for that, you know. And so they're they're not covered once they're 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 no longer covered right before they hit the ground. So uh you know, but that's that's still liability that lays against it could fall against that policy in some level if the homeowner is ultimately liable for what's going on at their house, you know, whether they have, you know, the liability, the liability clause that exists within their own homeowner's policy that's affecting coverage for the claim at hand, you know, and, and providing, you know, they could be held liable for that. I mean, trust me, usually when people sue and they go to an, they go to an attorney and says, I want to sue for this situation here. The attorney doesn't just go look for one guy. He's looking for everybody that could be involved, anybody that might be liable, especially in a moderate comparative state where they assign percentages of liability to
0: people. So, well, and, I, I, and, I don't and when involved. it comes down to it, it's those people's insurance companies they're going after.
1: Sure, absolutely. Anybody who's got some sort of liability coverage, that's who they're going after. And that's, and that by and large is what, is what drives, you know, those sorts of. Whether it's lawsuits or, or liability claims, let's just say it's liability claims. I want to be clear. I'm not an attorney and nothing I say should be should be construed as legal advice in any kind of way because I did not go to law school. <laughs> I barely went to regular school. So <laughs> anyway, um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Rumble. TJ, do you have any final thoughts, any parting messages, any nuggets of wisdom you want to leave us with?
0: Nope, just that it's great to see you two today.
1: Oh, it's great to see you too. How's Miss Jackie doing? She's doing good. We're all staying
0: pretty busy and hot.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um and how is the uh EOS thing going for her? I know I noticed that she got her official implementer license, which is cool.
0: It's it's great. Yeah, we've been working together on that. Um helping companies get themselves in order. You know, it's uh Paradise ran on EOS, Premier Claims runs on EOS, NTS was founded on EOS from day one. A lot of big companies uh-huh. uh, have found that that's a really solid framework for them to have scalable growth.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that we want to do is uh, what we want to do here on the Rumble is because one of the, while we all work claims and focus on claims, one of the things that I know that Donna and I struggled with when we were establishing Remedy Claims was infrastructure of the firm. Like I knew how to sure. work claims. I knew how to work claims. I didn't have any problem with working claims. It's all of the other stuff that comes with running the business and, and having that plan is really critical. So I know that we want to have uh, Jackie on at some point in time and kind of talk about some of those struggles. And, 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 I, and I believe that it will be something that a bunch of people really and truly listen to because I know there's a lot of questions out there. and uh, Very,
0: very common problem. Very common problem for small business.
1: Yeah. That's, you know, and, and just real quick before I let you go, TJ, is, is there, is there an EOS model that exists for the guys that are just kind of solo or they work maybe with their spouse, that kind of thing? Is there some kind of model that you guys can employ and help those guys out with?
0: You know, really, um, you know, we can help people implement some specific principles. Uh, and personality assessments, right? People right seat. That's a big part of these things for starting or creating something that's scalable, but really EOS works better. Um, once you've got a handful of people, I think most companies probably, probably have 10 or close to 10 employees total. A lot of companies that adopt, uh, EOS and because the accountability is spread out amongst a lot of different people and it's designed that way, you have Mm -hmm. to have multiple people to spread that accountability across.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, we're excited to talk to her about that, and I'm sure that's going to be in a future episode at some point in time. But, uh, guys, we will be back next week, and in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready, and we will see you on the next one.